Did you know that from the time it's planted, a single coffee bean can take up to four years to end up in your cup? That's why the folks at Otis Coffee believe the story behind each cup of coffee should be celebrated. The beans they select are responsibly sourced from coffee farms all around the world, and they meticulously roast each bean to its own optimum profile. Otis Coffee is more than just a way to get your daily dose of caffeine. To Otis, each cup is a journey that connects us on a global level. Take flight with Otis Coffee Company and be a part of this adventure. Head on over to otis.coffee and give them a shot. I think you'll enjoy it. Dr. Philippe Duyan is a board-certified neurologist out of New York who also works as an epileptologist. He is the author of Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, where he empowers us to have a different relationship with our brains and explores the ways in which we can give our brains exactly what is needed to adapt, heal, and thrive. He is the creator of the BrainFit app and the founder of the Inlink Brain Institute, where he and other board-certified neurologists guide you through programs that can change your brain in 30 days by exploring common myths of neuroscience, using personalized plans for your wealth and wellness goals, customized lifestyle and nutrition guidance, exercise regimes, and medical therapies for numerous neurological disorders. I am very grateful for him joining me. This is JLP number 27 with the author of Neuroplasticity, Dr. Philippe Duyan. All right. And and I just want to make sure I get your name right. It's, it's Duyan? Yeah, it's Duyan. Duyan. Okay. Yeah. I, I got to say, when I... um. When I when I contacted you about uh, you doing the podcast, I got a you know tiny podcast. I honestly did not think you were going to respond. Oh really? <laughs> it, was, it was one of those things. I just I did. I said, you know what? Let me just throw it out there. Let me just say that I did it, and uh, and go on about uh, going about my business. And then you replied. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, thank <laughs> you for for the invite. I think that. Because you you sent me the invite through Instagram, right? Initially through Instagram, right. And so for whatever reason, sometimes when people send me something through Instagram, it goes to a completely separate folder. Oh, um, really? Yeah, that that that's not a folder I normally check. Okay. And I happened to check a few days later and I saw yours and I was like, oh, okay. So, oh, okay. Yeah. Well, good, good for me then. That's good. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came across you at the um I was actually looking into something else, something called the uh the the Haitian Roundtable. Yeah. And uh a gentleman who I used to uh I used to uh coach with his uh football league, Jacques Leandre as part of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. And uh and so I was looking I was looking more into it and I came across your book and I ordered your book and really thought that I was gonna get this four hundred page uh uh book. And when I got your book, I honestly thought that I had gotten, you know how some books come with an addendum and a glossary yeah. for the uh, for the language. Yeah. I thought that's what that's that's what that was. And so I like I literally like put it aside and I said, wait a minute. And then I looked and I was I was flabbergasted by the amount of information you had in your book in such a in such a condensed, such a condensed version. Yeah. Because it seems like the idea of neuroplasticity is a relatively I don't want to say it's a simple concept, but it's 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 basically a, a, the idea that you kind of have to start with the with the well. Let me stop. What what is neuroplasticity? So yeah, so neuroplasticity really refers to the fact that our brains are constantly changing, and for you know for a really long time we thought that our brains were pretty static. That the only time they would change is if you got hurt, right, or if you got some degenerative disease. But we know right. that's not the case. 
you got yeah you, the the, uh, the initial uh, perception was you got to a certain age and then you're done. That's it. That and now and you were done. You know. Yeah. And now we know that look, we go through critical periods. Our brains go through critical periods where they're more primed to make new neurons and new connections and change. But they're they're actually changing every day. Okay. Um, you know, if you're willing to do what it takes to keep your brain healthy, to keep your brain making new neurons and connections, mm -hmm. you've got really the power to change your life. How, how did this how did how did this discovery come about? I mean, how, how did we come to understand that this isn't that your brain just wasn't this static uh, form that happened? Because I, I, I just remember hearing when I was a kid, you know, if something happened to your brain, that's it. You know, if you, you know, by, as a result of trauma or uh, maybe you got uh, tremendously sick and it caused you to, to you know, to lose some brain cells, right. well, you couldn't re you couldn't recover those. You couldn't recover that functionality back again. Yeah. And, you know, and the reality is that we see people all the time who will have traumatic brain injuries, who will have strokes, who do recover their function. Mm -hmm. And you could do an MRI or CAT scan of somebody's brain and see that they've lost a part of their brain. And yet the function that you ascribe to that part of the brain that's lost, they've somehow regained. The brain has been able to send, uh, reorganize some of its old connections and make new ones around that injury. Right. And so, and I think that was a big wake up call. And then mm -hmm. when like thinking about it intuitively, it's like, wait, but people are capable of learning new things all the time. Right. And that ability to learn something new has to do with the fact that our brains are changing and making new neurons. Mm -hmm. And this happens throughout, and, and you're saying this happens throughout the course of your life. This happens throughout the course of your life as long as you're giving your brain what it needs. Right? Which, which is what? You need new experiences. You need to, to exercise. You need to... Uh, move your body. Exercise is actually the biggest promoter of neuroplasticity. When we think back to early humans, the brains of early humans is very different from our brains today. Actually, sure. our brains today are much bigger and much more complicated. By more complicated, I mean, there are a lot more neurons and connections. So then you think to yourself, well, what would have caused the brain to become more complicated over time? And it was there were, there were some uh, researchers at Harvard who looked into this. Okay. What they found was that it was the need for early humans to run and to run long distances, right? And, you know, if you think that there's a, a predator that's trying to chase you, I don't know, I don't know if humans and saber-toothed tigers were in the same time period, but right. saber-toothed tigers, <laughs> if they're in the same time period and a saber-toothed tiger is trying to kill you, right? You need to be able to run. Uh, you need to be able to think to yourself, okay, well, what, what are the habits of this saber-toothed tiger? What does it tend to feed? Uh, what, what time of day? You know, those things enhance our survival. And our ability to, to run long distances help to foster that. Okay. And this, and, and this is, and this is uh, how you're saying that neuroplasticity has, has been demonstrated throughout the course of time. Yeah, so it's been demonstrated through people who have uh, recovered from injury. Uh, it's been demonstrated in professional athletes. It's been demonstrated in people who are having some mild cognitive impairment, some mild forms right. of dementia, and you get them to uh, start to exercise on a regular basis. Even 40 minutes of moderate intensity walking five days per week has been mm -hmm. shown uh, to improve their memory. Okay. Now, why? I'm just I'm curious. One of the things that that 
I'm curious about, especially at this time now, we're in, uh, you know, we're in a pandemic and that that conversation is not a conversation that we seem to be having. It seemed to me that this was a prime time to say, hey, uh, you know, let's let's look at your nutrition. Let's look at your amount of exercise you're getting uh, to sort of uh, to sort of prevent some of the some of the downsides of the possibility of, of containing this of, uh, of contracting this virus. Yeah. But it seems that we ne- we never talk about nutrition or we never talk about exercise until it's at a point where, OK, you need to cons- be concerned with your nutrition. You need to be concerned with your exercise or else you might expire. Yeah. And so when you say we never talk about it, who's the we? Is well, it- the, the general public. The general. the general public, yes, I'm. I'm pretty sure you have those discussions on a continual basis. <laughs> My apologies, I forget. <laughs> yeah, you know, and the reality is that a lot of people are not aware of the impact that exercise and eating right and minimizing stress and getting enough sleep and constantly learning have on your overall health, but especially the 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 health of your brain. I always say that we forget the real purpose of eating. The real purpose of eating is to give us enough fuel to facilitate our lifestyle. It's not to emotionally eat. It's not to eat out of boredom. It's not for food to taste uh, really good and to be addictive. Mm -hmm. When we do eat, it takes work to process and to break down food. And as a result of that work, there, there are byproducts that are made. There are toxins that are made. And the harder it is to break down that food, like processed foods, that's, that's more work. That's more toxic byproducts that are being made that causes inflammation, not just in your body, but also in your brain. And then this link between your brain and your gut where people who have, you know, some kind of inflammatory uh, bowel issue often have neurological manifestations as well. And so food is really important. Yeah, I I, I read a couple of articles which basically said that there's a there's a tremendous connection between your gut bacteria and your brain like sort of like your gut bacteria sends signals sends signals to your brain as yeah. to what's going on and you it, it it sort of like fosters this um i don't know maybe this these cravings for certain foods uh and this desire to have certain foods and if you you know if you eat too many candy bars then all of a sudden a couple of days later you're you're going man i could really use a, a candy bar right about now yeah. And so, look, your, your brain and your gut are embryologically connected. They're structurally, physically connected and they're chemically connected. So they're embryologically connected because they come from the same cell lines. They're made by the same uh, cells. And oh. so your brain, uh, your, your gut is considered your second brain because it has so many essentially nerve cells in your gut. The same way you may have you've got neurons and nerve cells in your brain. Right. And then you've got your vagus nerve, which essentially runs from your your brainstem from all the way down, touches your heart, goes into your gut. So they are physically connected in that way. No, I I was going to say, so so, so you were saying that the the gut and the brain are basically made up of the same of the same of the same cells or have the same cell structure. They're made up of, of this. They come from the same cell line. So, yeah. So their cells are very, very similar. Okay. They essentially migrated from the same uh, place when that, that you know, the, the, the baby in utero is being developed. Right? Wow. Okay. I never knew that. Yeah. And then connected via the vagus nerve. Right. So they're sending signals back and forth to each other super fast. 
Um, and then you've got you've got chemicals, you've got neurotransmitters that are made in the gut that influence your brain. So something like serotonin, where 90% of it is made in your gut, serotonin is responsible for your mood, it's responsible right. for uh, your, your sleep-wake cycle, it plays a role in that. Um, so your brain and gut are, are really intimately connected. And so what, so essentially what you put in your gut is going to be what you're going to be doing to feed your brain. Absolutely. And look, we, you know, I'm, I'm an epilepsy specialist, so I'm a neurologist, but I'm also an epilepsy specialist. There are people with epilepsy where we manage their seizures just by, with diet, just with nutrition, just with nutrition. And, wow. some, and sometimes it's a combination of nutrition and medications and other things, but nutrition plays a huge role, huge role. Are, 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 are there some people who are more more prone to, uh, let's say, the positive and the negative effects of nutrition uh, than others? Yeah, I think some people uh, will be triggered in different ways, right? And so the reality is that, you know, some people may develop um, sensitivity to, to sugar, right? And they easily develop things like type 2 diabetes. Okay. Uh, Right. And some people may not develop type two diabetes, but they're being affected in different ways. They're, they've got inflammation in their uh, entire body. And maybe that manifests as arthritis or something else going on. And so for everybody, it, it's going to look a little bit different. But oftentimes it's sort of the same process that's playing out throughout the body, just in different ways, manifesting itself very differently. Is, is there a, is there a baseline nutrition that we sh that we should all be that we should all be following? Well, the reality is that the way that we eat now is not the way that we, um, our bodies were sort of designed uh, for us to eat. Right? Okay. The, the sugar is much more readily accessible now than it's ever been. Absolutely. Right? And even when we think about sort of the, the healthy sugars, like the, the fruits, the complex carbohydrates, mm -hmm. the reality is that these things used to be seasonal. Now you can get every single fruit every season of every the year. Every single year, okay. <laughs> every day of the year, which which sort of makes you think like, what the hell are they putting in these fruits, right? <laughs> because it's not, it's the, it's, it's the I, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm mystified at that when I see strawberries. Yeah, yeah. Like when I see strawberries all the time and these humongous strawberries that can be like the size of your fist. Yeah. And then I remember I went to a, a, to a, a strawberry field one time and I saw wild grown strawberries. And they're about the size of like my thumb. Yeah. And I'm like, oh my God, wait a minute, what are we doing with these damn strawberries? I mean, yeah. To you... make these things huge. And why should we get them all the time? Right. And then you walk into the supermarket, everything looks perfect. All the fruit looks absolutely, absolutely beautiful. Yes. You get it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, man, they're big, they're plump, they're juicy, they're perfect looking. <laughs> and you get it all year round. So and, and what you're saying with 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 neuroplasticity is, is, is kind of the same thing that a lot of um, a lot of therapists say is, is the notion of, OK, the, the brain controls the body, but we in many ways have a lot of control over what happens to the brain. Is that is that is that would that be accurate? One of the things that I talk all the time about and actually my course is called Take Charge of Your Brain in, in 30 Days. But I teach people how to become the leader that your brain so desperately needs you to be. The fact that you are aware of your thoughts suggests that there's a much higher level of consciousness. Um, sort of above your brain. And so you are not your brain. And you get to teach your brain what you want your brain to learn, the skills that you want it to learn, 
what you want to expose it to. Otherwise, I tell people that if, if you let your brain run you, mm-hmm. it is like a you know toddler throwing a tantrum. It is going to take you down a very dark, deep hole <laughs> very, very quickly, right? Well, that's scary because I have a two-year-old. I have a two-and-a-half-year-old. Right. I know what that looks like. So. And, 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 and here's the example. So it's kind of like, let's say somebody pisses you off today, mm-hmm. right? All of a sudden, that that one minute episode. All of a sudden, not only are you thinking to yourself, "Oh, I, I really don't like this person," then it becomes like, you know, I don't like anything about this person. I don't like anything about my life. Oh, the world sucks. We're in a uh-huh. pandemic. Nothing good has happened. Like all of a sudden, everything everything's happens, horrible, right? And the reality is that the primary purpose of your brain, the primary function of your brain, is to keep you safe. So it has a bias towards negativity because that enhances your survival, right? But you don't want to live that life. You know, you don't want to live a life where everything is so negative because it doesn't keep you down. Right, right. And so, and, 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 and as a neurologist, what you're basically saying is that these, these, these actions or these thoughts that we're, that, that we can create for ourselves actually make a change in the brain. They actually make a change in the brain that creates uh, a, a, a path for neurons. Uh, I remember what, what you talked about in your book where um, the neurons are not the most uh, predominant cell in the brain. It's, I forget what you call it. The, yeah, uh, the glial cells are, are- Thank you, thank yeah. you. The glial cells, which are actually form as like messengers to, to and from the neurons, correct? Yeah, so they, they support the, the neurons, you know, and they outnumber neurons at least uh, 10 to 1, right? But neurons, what make neurons so special is that they are perfectly designed for communication. So they communicate incredibly well with each other. And neurons don't need to be touching to, to communicate. They Actually, they don't touch at all. They're always separated by um, a space, but they communicate electrically and chemically. And when they can't communicate with each other, that's when this function occurs in the brain. That's when neurological disorders occur. So okay. where somebody has a stroke because it kills off some neurons and they can't communicate, somebody has MS because it prevents electrical activity from traveling quickly, whatever it is, it's a mm-hmm. communication problem, right? And it's the same thing with people. When people aren't communicating with each other, that's right. when the function occurs, right? Right. Yeah, you made, you made that very clear in, in, in your book that this is like the brain is just another it's another universe yeah. and if we you know if we think of it as a universe or another another community maybe that would be an easier easier way to import uh, the, the importance of it when when we talk about like deficiencies um not deficiencies but when we talk about disorders yeah. and mental disorders is that a is that primarily a dysfunction of the brain itself or could that be more traced to a dysfunction of, of the things that we have done to our brain so I'm somebody who believes that the more we learn about the brain, the more things like neurology, psychiatry, psychology will come together because yes. it's all the same organ, right? We just look at it from uh, different perspectives. And as a neurologist, I see people who have mental health issues all the time because if there's a structural abnormality um, in the brain, that often leads to a, a mental health issue as well as whatever the physical uh, manifestation of that is. And a lot of times people will have some traumatic history, right? That that's unresolved. And the way that it presents is with some kind of neurological symptom. And you don't okay. have a person healthy and doing better 
until you deal with the underlying issue. Gotcha. Okay. And and in dealing with that underlying issue, what you're saying is you could actually create in your brain physically, you actually create the pathway to either a, a recovery or I don't, I don't know how I'm trying to say this, but it's just, it, 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 it almost, it almost seems like making better habits and making, making better choices. And it sort of creates a pathway to sort of reward you for those good choices that you're making. Yeah. So, you know, I always say things like, look, anxiety, depression, all of those things, they, they all start in the brain. They, they've got physical manifestations, but it all starts, um, in the brain and it's sort of your brain taking what it normally does and how it is hypersensitive and exaggerates the response. Mm -hmm. And so you're not going to properly manage any of those things if you're not dealing with, with what the underlying issue is and trying to get the, the, the brain to uh, maybe not have that dramatic response or figuring out what the triggers are so that the brain is not responding the way that it is, right? Okay. So, and something like somebody who's got really bad anxiety, right? The amygdala, the part of the brain that plays a huge role in, in emotions and especially fear, that thing is hypersensitive. That thing is overreacting. So it's identifying that there's a, a stressor there, a threat there, even when there may, may not be, right? And it's sending signals to other parts of the brain, like your hypothalamus, which then gets the heart beating super fast. And, right. you know, the, the, the prefrontal cortex, which is like, oh man, I can't make decisions now, right? Um, and so it all starts in the brain and has physical manifestations. As, as a neurologist, when, you, when you're presented with... Uh either a patient or some or, or a certain scenario that involves the brain, how much of the complete person are you trying to get an understanding of so that you can, does that help you with a diagnosis? Does that help you understand what's going on in the brain when you understand, yeah. uh, you know, not just what what's physically happening, but what could be emotionally happening, psychologically could be happening. Yeah. So, you know, the tagline for my company and it's on our T-shirts and bracelets is one brain, one body. Because ah. I am a big believer that, look, what happens to the brain affects the body and vice versa. And one of the things I think that we do wrong in medicine is that everybody is so specialized and everybody looks mm. at from the perspective of their own specialty. And oftentimes, you know, something affecting one part of the body is affecting the rest of the body. Right. Um, and different things in people's lives are influencing their health, their physical health, mental health and neurological health. And so to understand that person's life, what they're going through, that person's perspective on their health, whether you agree with it or not, okay. is incredibly important. You know, one of the things I always tell patients um, is that the way that I approach taking care of someone is that it's two experts coming together. They're the expert on them. Mm -hmm. uh, I may be the expert uh, when it comes to the brain, but it's two experts coming together to help them solve a problem and get back the life that they want. Right? And so you have to understand what the person is going through. Right, right. How in, in treating the brain, how many, how, how common are abnormalities? How, how common are issues that when you can, when you look at it, you say, okay, this is, this is not normal. This is not supposed to be happening. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of like when you're looking at the structure of the brain, so people get CAT scans 
and MRIs all the time, right? Mm -hmm. And literally people will get sent to me because it's like, oh, abnormal MRI. But then it's like, well, why did you do the MRI? You know, sometimes you'll, you'll, you will see um, things that you don't expect to see that you may not be able to do anything, you know, anything about or things that may have been there since the time that they were born. Right. Right. Um, so you can see abnormalities quite often. But one of the things I don't think people realize is that things like high blood pressure and diabetes cause abnormalities in the brain. Um, okay. Causes parts of the brain not to get enough blood flow. And that can cause damage. That can cause damage that leads to dementia. In fact, there are neuroscientists, neurologists, and researchers that will tell you that there is such a close association between type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's disease that some people refer to Alzheimer's disease as type 3 diabetes. Type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's. Yeah, that there's such a close association between the two. Even if you disagree with that, the reality is that things like high blood pressure and diabetes cause vascular dementia. So whatever, whatever title we want to give it, Mm -hmm. Right, it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, what it means is that that person's losing their memory, they're losing their cognitive functions, they're losing their the ability to live the life that they want for themselves, and there is nothing, uh, there's no medication that's going to reverse that. Right. So, you know, one of the biggest myths when it comes to brain health is that there's nothing that you can do um, about it when the reality is the decisions that you make every single day of your life influence the way that your brain evolves. Can, I mean, can, can your brain, can your brain atrophy? I yeah. mean, just like, just like a muscle that you don't use Absolutely. for a long period of time, and all of a sudden you can't use that muscle. If you don't start, uh, uh, like you said, bringing in new thoughts or, 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 or trying to learn new things, can yeah. you get to a point where you, where when you decide to do that, it becomes much, much harder. Yeah. And one of the things that I ask people all the time is how do you spend your day? Right. Because if you tell me all you do is sit around and watch TV mm -hmm. and don't do anything else. And then you're like, I've got memory problems. I'm kind of like, well, what did you think was going to happen? You have to challenge your brain. You have not, you have to physically exercise. You've got to learn new languages. Uh, learn new skills, play new games, talk to people you've never talked to before, gain their perspectives on life. You don't have to agree with them, but their perspectives are invaluable. It allows your brain to make new neurons and new connections. I mean, I tell people all the time, being a creature of habit is killing your neurological potential. Really? Yeah. So, so okay, so let me, well, no, because a lot of people would say that those habits are the habits that are sustaining me. Those habits of, you know, I always get up at a certain time. I always make this for breakfast. I always work out at this time. I always, you know, yeah. do this, that, or the other thing. I always pick my kids up at 4.30. And like, those are the, those are the things that are sustaining me and getting me through. So what happens if you do the same workout every single day for the next year? Will you see any difference? In You'll your see no difference. It, exactly. That workout will become very easy. Exactly. It's the same thing with your brain. You need new experiences. You need to do things differently, right? So whether working out is great, everybody should work out every single day of their life, but you gotta switch it up, right? Yeah. You gotta interact with new people. You gotta go to different parts of the world. You, that having new experiences allows your brain to make new neurons and new connections. Yeah, you know, I, I always give this example of, there is this uh, doctor who was a memory specialist 
went to his uh, went to one of his talks a few years back, and he had spent fifty years of his life just doing research on memory. So I go to his talk, and as a neurologist, I have no idea what he's talking about, and I'm sitting here like. I'm not even sure you know what you're talking about because you can't even explain it in a way for the neurologist in the room to understand you, right? Okay. <laughs> so, but then about a year later, after he retired, he comes to see me in the office because he's having memory problems. Really? This memory doctor is now having memory problems. And so you would say, well, how could that be? But the reality is he spent 50 years of his life doing the same exact doing the same thing. He never did anything else. He didn't do anything differently. So now that he couldn't hide behind his expertise, you know, all mm -hmm. the cognitive impairments were starting to show. To, in, in situations like that, where in which you 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 don't you don't allow new experiences to to, to come in, do things like uh, do things like apprehension and things like fear do they become much more prominent? Yeah, I mean, the reality is that people like to feel really comfortable. Right? Yeah. They, they oftentimes do not like change. Um, and the reality is that we, we all have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. That, that is really how we evolve, right? I mean, to go back to working out, if you're trying to build a really great physique, it's not gonna feel good. You're no. gonna be sore. No, <laughs> right? I'm, I'm learning that now, I'm working. I'm, yeah. I've decided this COVID stuff is uh, is because I can't get in. I can't get into a gym, so man. So know. now I'm, I've I've had to like figure out how to do something else when I you know go outside and you know do some wind sprints or or yeah. something like that. And it's and and yeah, it's it's hard. My 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 brain goes, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> exactly. You know, this isn't your workout. Yeah, or you learn a new uh, you learn a new sport. Uh -huh. Remember how uncomfortable it is at the beginning to learn a new skill like a sport. It's like you're tripping over your feet, you can't coordinate anything. Right. Time, you start getting better and better and you move up in level and move up in level, right? But you have to be uncomfortable. That's the only way that you're going to evolve. And 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 once again, and I don't want to I don't want to reiterate this, but I think that's it, it's a tremendously important point. In doing that, you are actually changing changing the composition of your brain your your act your brain is actually building new pathways so that uh it starts to recognize those things that you're doing again and and that is a continuous function of the brain throughout the course of your life absolutely so you're you're changing the the structure of your brain uh the structure that we can see as well as the parts of your brains that we can't see and for me what's so powerful about neuroplasticity is the fact that since your brain is capable of changing Mm -hmm. Things that we're capable of changing as individuals, as a community, as a society, you know, right. as a world. Um, and I think people should be really empowered by that. Yeah, you make that very clear in your book that it's like if you, like that's the start, but that's the that's the genesis of of possibly changing a whole uh, a whole society and a, and a whole community. And if people don't want to believe me, take my word for it. Look at all the most successful people on the planet. You know, they're, they're constantly finding ways to, to challenge themselves and develop themselves and constantly right. learning. Right. Yeah. They never stop. Yeah. They never stop learning. Do, do you reach do you reach a point in which you're just not able to, to do that? Do, do you reach a point in which it's just much harder for the brain to uh, uh, to build those pathways? No. You know, I, I think you may reach a point where. Um, the way that you learn may can potentially change, 
right? And so like, I know for me, like, do not put me in a classroom for an hour or two hours. I will not be able to, like, I cannot people talk for an hour or two hours anymore, right? <laughs> but what's really great for me is having experiences, you know, or having conversations with people. Um, so I think that the way that we learn might change a little bit as we get older, um, but everybody is different. The reality is that we learn by by doing and by right. saying and not right. by, you know, passively trying to take in information. Right, right. And that probably goes in the tie with uh, the amount of medication that we take, because rather than do something different or rather than change something, uh, yeah. we want we want that pill. Yeah, that that's going to make it feel better. And yeah. And I spend a lot of time actually taking people off pills for a variety of reasons. Um, but the reality is to, to really get healthier, to really change whatever issue we're having. It, it takes work. It's not easy. It doesn't right. come in pill form. Pills, most of the time, a pill is a Band-Aid approach. I can only think of one medication that's a cure for something. Really? Which, which would be what? Uh, the hepatitis C drugs. Okay. So the hepatitis C drugs are in, in uh, the only things that you've come across that actually cures. Yeah, I mean, that's what they say. Within, within a few months, you, you get rid of hepatitis C. And nothing else. Nothing that's that I can think of. <laughs> I mean, wow. blood pressure medication doesn't cure your blood pressure. You take, you know, diabetes medication doesn't cure your diabetes. You take uh, medication for epilepsy. It doesn't cure your epilepsy. Right, right. These are all managing... You're just you know, managing the symptoms. Yeah. And at best, maybe as long as you take them, you never get those symptoms again. But if you go off those meds, your symptoms come back. Right? They come right back. And, they, and they're probably more, uh, they're probably less tolerant to change after that. And they may be. Yeah. They may require higher dosages of medications, different medications, combination of medications. Mm -hmm. So why, so is it us as a society that we're just not, willing to do the work that's necessary to make these changes. I, I was, I talked to a, um, a couple of counselors out here in Long Island. And one of the things that they say about uh, their relationship counselors, and one of the things they say is, is that, you know, everybody wants the, the great end result, but nobody wants the work that goes into that great result. They want a great marriage. They want a great relationship, but it takes work and they're not willing to do that work. Is that, is that the same thing that happens to us physically? Like we, we want the great physique. We want, you know, we want to be smart. We want to be able to rattle off uh, information, but we're not really willing to, to do the work that's uh, necessary to get there. So I think it's complicated because I think that um, in society, we've done a really great job of brainwashing people that there are always easy answers to things. Mm. Um, I easy think that yeah, I think we've got, you know, systems that capitalize on people not doing the work, right? So when you think about the pharmaceutical industry, that's billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars per year. Uh, just take a pill, whether that pill works enough for you, right. just take a pill, right? As opposed to go work out every day. Right. You know? um, and people, people buy into it. Companies continue to foster it. Um, and then you have situations where, uh, you know, people may not have time to exercise. They may not feel like they have time to exercise. They may have to work two or three jobs to support their family. Right. Um, they may not live in a safe place where they can go outside for a run or have access to a gym. Right. 
And so it, it's, I think it's a really complicated issue. I'm, you know, I'm s- somebody who believes that, like, if you were born, if you're alive on this planet, mm-hmm. that means that you are supposed to have all the resources that it takes for you to live a really healthy life and for you to be able to create the, the dream life that you want, right? But that's not the reality of the world that we live in. Right, right. When it comes to um, how how easy is it or how difficult is it for somebody to recover from, let's say, long-term abuse of their body and ultimately their brain? So let's say, a, a, you know, a child from, you know, from birth to, you know, the time that they're, you know, in their early 20s, uh, crappy diet, no exercise, uh, you know, bad and bad influences all the way around. All of a sudden, at twenty, decides, "Hey, I'm I'm tired of of doing this." Yeah. How how how? I mean, how much? I'm assuming that there's a certain amount of damage that can be done that is almost irretrievable. So but you say, but I think you're saying no. Yeah. So the reality is that look, your your body will work with you for a very long time. So for most of the organs in your body, you can lose a significant percentage of function mm-hmm. and never even know it, right? So I see people whose brains have significantly atrophied, they would never know. And it's not until there's something that happens that tips them over, like an infection, that all of a sudden now they start having symptoms, mm-hmm. right? Um, but... I mean, I remember when I was in school, they would say, yeah, you can lose 60% function of your liver before you even knew it, you know? So you can lose a significant percentage of your body's function and you would never, never know. But you do hit that place where all of a sudden now you cannot recover in the same way. And that childhood to 20s, maybe when it comes to junk food and not exercising is probably not a great example because children are really, really resilient. Man, after like 30, it is not the same. (laughs) No, I agree. Yes, I agree with you though. I agree with you there. Uh, Talk to me about the uh, the program that you put together. Uh, um, uh, Forgive me for getting the name of it. I'm stumbling over my head now because my head's not working. I I put together an online course called Take Charge of Your Brain in 30 Days. Uh, to help people with uh, neurological and medical disorders get healthier and really create the life that they want for themselves. So I um, way that the course is, is broken apart is uh, split into four modules. The first module, I talk to people about the importance of having a mission, vision, and purpose, and how that influences the evolution of their brain. And I work with them to create a mission, a vision, and purpose for their life. Um, In the second module, I teach people about the things that influence their overall health and how preventable chronic diseases impact uh, their brain. In the third module, it's really about teaching people to become the leaders that their brain so desperately need them to be, to teach them about the things that are influencing their brain and teaching them about neurological disorders. And then in the fourth module, it's really about showing them how they can create their own personalized prescription plan, but one that's rooted in the development of their mind, body, and soul so that way they can get healthier and create the life that they want for themselves. That's fascinating because that's the same that's the same formula that uh, I've heard from a psychologist. That's the same formula I've heard uh, from um, from from men's groups who are saying, "Hey, this is how you can you can get your life together." And the first thing you say is get a you know put together a plan. Yeah. 
put together a plan and put together some goals and 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 that actually starts it going but you're actually doing it from a perspective of this is how you're going to build those parts of your brain that will facilitate the things that you want yeah this this is how your brain works this is how you're going to build certain parts of your brain this is how you're going to overcome uh the challenges that you face and i'm telling it to you from the perspective not just of a doctor a neurologist but also a patient because when i was 18 i was diagnosed with kidney failure at 20 oh. Eight, at 28, eight days after graduating from medical school, um, I had a kidney transplant and my, my dad was my donor. And so I've been a patient my entire life. Now I'm into my 40s. I've been a patient my entire life, right? And so I've had to do it for myself. I've had to do it for uh, patients. And now I really want to share it with other people. That's fascinating. So after you graduated medical school, you had to have a kidney transplant. Yeah, eight days later. Oh my goodness. But yeah. that must have been a that was, was that I'm assuming that was a difficult time for you, like to realize that you had to have major surgery after you had medical after you just gone through medical school. Well, I knew it all throughout medical school. Oh, you knew that you needed to have a. Yeah, no, I was I was uh, sick in med medical school, um, you know, so I was essentially planning for this. Okay, okay. Time, but, right. Trying to get through uh, school first. OK. Yeah. And you were diagnosed with that, you said, when you were 18? 18 years old, yeah. Chronic kidney failure? Yeah. Oh, man. My goodness. So a whole, so a whole part of your body. That's, and and that's, a, that's another thing that, that sort of that, that baffles me, that there are just some parts of the body that just don't work. That, you know, and for whatever reason, and, I'm, and yeah. you know, it's, not, it's, not, it's not anybody's fault or it's anything like that. Is there a way for us to, to detect that? sooner is there a way to find if, was there a way to find out at 12 hey you might be heading down a certain path uh that uh or, or or we notice something at 12 13 years old that uh means you might have chronic kidney failure by the time you're 18. yeah and you know i i think uh you need to have um really good healthcare providers around you that are not just treating you as sort of another patient, but are looking at sort of the whole picture. And so I remember, look, when I was like 15, 16 years old, my pediatrician would be like, yeah, his blood pressure is high, but you know, he's like a type A kid. He does really well in school. He's probably always really stressed out. He's a really good athlete. Wow. You know, never really thought much of it. And it was literally like every time I go see him, yeah, the blood pressure is high, but it was the same thing. Um, and so you need people around you who are going to be intuitive um, and who are going to follow up on things. Mm -hmm. The reality is that, you know, we've got to make sure that even our, our young people, our kids who are so resilient, that we're keeping them as healthy as possible, right? So that is through eating really healthy, not, not being like, you can eat whatever junk food you want because you're a kid and, you know, you'll be yeah. fine. And the reality is that your body may be reacting to something that you're eating or something in your environment um, in some really, really negative ways. I mean, that's when somebody has something that's autoimmune and, and that's what they think caused my kidney issues is something autoimmune. What it means is that your body is seeing something in its environment, food or otherwise, as a threat. And therefore, it's constantly fighting itself to try to get okay. rid of that threat. Right. And that, that's what happened to me. Wow. What are, is, uh, are uh, physicians and other doctors in your family? Uh, I actually have one other doctor in the family, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah. And nobody, nobody else are, are physicians. Doctors tend to usually be like a collage in, in, uh, in, in families. Yeah. So I've got uh, one other doctor and then a couple of nurses in the family. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is that like, why neurology? Neurology just seems uh, from a guy who like barely passed biology class, yeah. <laughs> you know, neurology just seems like a very, very hard thing to do. Thank goodness you're doing it. Thank goodness other people like yourself are doing it. But neurology just seems like to be a lot. It just seems so complicated and so dense. And it's so it, it, it just relies on so many other factors. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't have to be that complicated. And that's one of the things that, you know, I sort of hope to get across to people that it, it's really about trying to simplify it. And the reality, the reason why I chose neurology was because I had a cousin with epilepsy growing up and she grew out of it. And I had a grandmother who developed Alzheimer's. And those are two devastating neurological disorders to see somebody go through. Right. Um, and as tough as that was, you know, I remember thinking to myself, but when the brain is working the way that it's designed to work, it's incredibly beautiful, right? That That's when people are being really successful. That's when they're being really happy. That's when they're doing incredible things. And so that really sparked my interest in the brain. Okay. Well, and, and you, you mentioned uh, epilepsy and, um, and, and Alzheimer's. Those are, explain to me what epilepsy and, and Alzheimer's are as far as in, in the brain. I, I, it's a, I hear it all the time. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Sure. So, so let's talk about seizures versus epilepsy first. Okay. okay. So a seizure is when, um, so the way that the cells in the brain communicate is through electricity. And so when somebody has a seizure, there's a burst of electrical activity in the brain, almost like a short circuit. Okay. okay. And so depending on what part of the brain is involved in the seizure, it depends on what the seizure looks like. So everybody always thinks of a seizure as somebody falls to the floor and has a massive convulsion. And that can happen when the entire brain is involved, right? Um, but that doesn't happen for everybody. And so one of the first people I, I took care of who had seizures, the first time he had a seizure, he was at a Knicks game. And the Knicks must have done some great play. So you know this was a long time ago. And so everybody stood up and they were clapping. And when everybody sat down, he was still standing clapping. And that was his first seizure. Wow. And every time he seized, that's what he did. Right? What epilepsy is, so seizure is the actual event. Epilepsy is the disorder. Epilepsy refers to people who are at risk of having uh, multiple seizures in the future. Okay. So Alzheimer's now is a type of dementia. And dementias are um, people who, dementia refers to a, a group of symptoms in which uh, people are losing some of their cognitive functions. So memory, they're losing their ability to use language, they're using their ability to plan out their day, execute certain things in their day. So Alzheimer's is a type of dementia. As far as we know, it happens to be the most common type of dementia, but people can develop dementia, uh, vascular dementia from high blood pressure, diabetes. Okay. They can develop alcoholic dementia because of alcohol. Um, they can develop dementia because of vitamin deficiencies and thyroid dysfunction. Um, Alzheimer's is a type of dementia in which people are getting certain proteins that are being deposited in neurons and outside of neurons interfering with how neurons communicate with each other 
and okay. with neurons um, function. Do, do we know what's causing that? So remember when I said earlier that some people would consider Alzheimer's disease type three dementia? Uh-huh. Uh, type three diabetes. Type three diabetes. Right. Yeah. So some of the changes that you see in the brains of diabetics are the same changes that you see in the brains of people with Alzheimer's. Okay. Right. And so the thinking is that the same sort of process is happening in diabetics and people with Alzheimer's. And when you say the changes in the brain, what what is changing in the brain to people who are diabetics? So the brain is shrinking a little bit. Okay. Uh, the smallest blood vessels in the brain don't tolerate high blood pressures and high blood sugars very well. And over time, there are areas of the brain that are not getting enough blood flow. Um, and then you get the deposition, you get these proteins that are being deposited inside neurons and outside of neurons. And it looks the same in, in, uh, in, in, all, in, in Alzheimer's and diabetes. Yeah. Diabetes. So, so and the, could the culprit then be sugar? The culprit can be the impact of, of sugar, the impact of insulin, uh, especially because insulin causes a lot of inflammation in the body and in the brain. Right? Okay. So, you know, it's interesting when you see somebody who has type 1 diabetes, right, versus somebody who has type 2 diabetes. So type 2, 1 diabetes, you're born with it because your pancreas doesn't work. You don't make any insulin at all. People with type 1 diabetes tend to be very, very thin because okay. they have no insulin, right? People with type 2 diabetes, where they're constantly eating carbs, so their body is pushing out tons of insulin. There's just tons of insulin trying to take up all that sugar from the bloodstream. They tend to be really overweight because okay. insulin is your body's biggest growth factor. It makes you get bigger. Really? Yeah. So insulin. people, think, oh, okay. you know, they get fat from eating fat. No, you get fat from eating carbs because of insulin. Because of insulin. Yeah. Which is why fasting has become very, very popular because it slows down the insulin response. Yeah. I mean, you okay. need to give your body a break, right? I mean, give our right. a break, cars a break. Right. Okay. All right. I got a thousand questions and I don't know how to answer, how to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I want to go back to, to something I asked earlier. What, what are, what is the baseline of, of, of decent, good nutrition? I mean, what I mean, I, I think we probably know the things to avoid yeah. as opposed to the things to ingest. Yeah. But there's so much information that tells you, you know, you, you hear this, you hear things about uh, fats. OK, well, fats are, uh, you know, don't ingest fats. Everything should be low fat, no fat. And then all of a sudden something says, hey, you know what? Fats are actually good for you. You should ingest fats. Don't ingest too much protein. Well, animal protein is good for you. You're supposed to have animal protein. And and. Is there a baseline nutrition that that we should be following? That we should make sure that we just we kind of like can keep this under wraps if we follow a certain uh, nutrition line. Yeah, start with plants. Start with plants. Start start plant based. Okay. And actually, one of the things I told somebody that I saw a couple of days ago was, um, uh, you need to go back to the basics when it comes to nutrition. Take everything out of your diet, start plant-based, see how you do. And if you want to gradually then reintroduce things, then you'll know what your body is reacting to 
Or if okay. you're just doing plant-based, just do plant-based, right? Okay. But a lot of these things aren't that healthy for us. I mean, we're not meant to consume animal protein in the way that we do, right? We're not meant to have these big steaks. We can't right. digest those things really that well. That size anyway, right? Yeah. You know, we're not meant to be drinking cow's milk. Like, we're not cows. And the way that they get that stuff is so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... I mean, the amount of like pus and stuff in them, it's gross, you know? And then, oh you know, man, is why people have the reactions that they're having, you know? Uh, so, yeah, so I would certainly start with, uh, start with plants. Start with a plant based diet. Okay. And, and are you a person that says no to animal protein? I don't eat red meat. I rarely eat meat at all. Okay. You, yeah. uh, fish? It's, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Okay. It's rare. All right. I had a vegan burger today. It was really Did good. Did you? Yeah. Ah, see, I got a problem with calling it a burger. It's just, I'm just. <laughs> I, didn't, I hadn't had a burger in years. A year. And then somebody, uh, oh, I went to Bear Burger. Okay. Uh, and uh, I got, you know, my kids wanted a burger and I'm like looking at it. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna try their, I guess their impossible burger. They have yeah, they have a they have a vegan burger. They have a yeah. yeah. It was actually really good. Was it good? Yeah, it was really good. I've, I've actually had some vegan burgers that I actually do enjoy. Yeah. That I actually do enjoy. And I and I actually go through this period where I don't uh I don't ingest meat for like 72 hours. Yeah. Or something like that. So I go through I go through those as I've gotten older, I kind of I kind of realize that hey, you know what, you don't, you know, that big steak you don't need. Right. on the plate make make you feel like a man and you're not a savage because you didn't kill it so you didn't go get it yourself so it's <laughs> so, and it's really now I, I can tell like if i eat something that let's say or, or drink something that has a lot of sugar in it i can tell the way my body reacts to it yeah yeah i'm, I'm that same way too like a few years ago my wife and i we, we drastically changed our diet and you know we were First, first thing we did was we changed our portion sizes. Yeah. We like eliminated these huge plates we have, and yeah. we just bought small plates, and so we used those as dinner plates, and that that helped you know tremendously. Yeah. But every once in a while, when we go back to eating that way, feel horrible. Yeah, you feel yeah. horrible. You're like, oh my god, I felt like this the whole time, right? Before when I was eating that, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, people don't realize that they're walking around in planes. Yeah, and I tell people all the time, eat seven to the point that you're seventy percent full. Yeah. So you're 100% full, 70% full. Yeah, because you got to wait for your body to, to catch up and send those signals. Like, yeah. like we said, the gut to the brain. Where, where, uh, where do you, are, are you in the, uh, are you in the five boroughs? Yeah, I'm in New York. You're in New York? Yeah. How's New York treating, uh, how's New York treating you? I'm out in Long Island. And so it's, I don't know, I, I kind of look at New York as, uh, as uh, having its problems. I mean, you know, I, I'm born and raised in New York. So uh -huh. I love hate relationship with New York. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm always trying to leave New York, but something always. <laughs> um, I've left New York three times. Yeah, I always find myself coming back. I figured, okay, Long Island is like, it's so New York is there, right? You know, when I want it, when I'm gonna go check out a Yankee game or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, it's it's tough times everywhere. I think right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. New York is not what it usually is. No, I'm scared for New York. Yeah. I'm scared. I'm scared it might go back to the New York of the like 70s. It may. Yeah. There's a lot of people are leaving, right? Yeah. A lot of people are leaving. Yeah. A lot so. of people that are well off.
Doctor, thank you so much for taking uh, time. I know you're a very, very busy man. Uh, are you working on another book? Uh, I am working on another book. I am working on another app. Um, and yeah, and just focusing on the course. That Yeah, I downloaded the app you have. Yeah. It confuses me. Does it? I can't. <laughs> I have a hard time navigating, navigating. Oh, it's like a, it's like a medical candy cart. Let me see that. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, it is, and I have a hard time going through it. Let's see. Uh, so you're you're trying to uh, make connections, right? So you're trying to connect three healthy foods or healthy activities. Brain yeah. fit. Yeah, Doctor Dion's brain fit, right? And so you just like slide them together and every I don't know six or seven matches or so then there's a question that pops up related to that particular level um so that way you're also learning about the disease state from that level as you go yeah so I yeah okay so I and what you have to do is you have to make connections right yeah so also let's see uh ch -ch -ch. yeah so you're making the connections uh, I see right okay camera. And the way that you make the connections, now I'm looking at this upside down. See, this is why you have to practice different things and train your brain in different ways. Yes, okay, yes. <laughs> Point well taken now. <laughs> now I'm like looking at it in reverse. But uh, yeah, you just slide your, your finger. Okay. And just move it with your finger, whatever, to make three in a row, at least three in a row. Yeah, okay. All right, I'll get back to it. I'm gonna try this again tonight. It was ticking me off. I was like, no, wait a minute. It can't be this hard to do this. <laughs> you know, it's funny because, so I use it a lot when, uh, you know, I'm giving talks to kids and adults. And mm -hmm. uh, I mean, kids, they're just, they're on it like this, right? Because it's a game and then they're used to it. Yeah. And the adults are like, wait, what am I supposed to do? And I'm like, the next version will have a tutorial video oh, god thank you yes for us old folks <laughs> that are that are done with this oh. that are done doctor i appreciate it man thank you so much uh all the best uh, uh to you in your continued efforts um thank you very much thank you hope you and the family stay safe and healthy same to you you have a great night you too take care Dion's book, Neuroplasticity, Your Brain's Superpower, is available on Amazon. And take a look at the Inlay Brain Fit Institute at www.inlaybrainfitinstitute.com. We'll give you guidance on creating the life you were meant to live, and they do it without prescribing a single pill. Also, check out uh, Dr. Dion's Instagram uh, feed at uh, philippe.md. He hosts an IG series titled Surviving Your Brain. Uh, he speaks with other physicians and patients uh, regarding brain issues. It's very informative, very insightful. Uh, it's great to hear uh, people sharing their experiences, uh, either as uh, patients or caregivers of issues uh, involving the brain. Thank you for bringing that to us, Dr. Dion. Christmas is coming. Coffee makes a great gift. It would make a great gift for me. And I'm sure it will make a great gift uh, for the people you love. Otis.coffee give you free shipping for order over $35 and they also are increasing their catalog of the varieties of coffee that they get. Otis.coffee. 
don't forget, head on over to anchor.fm slash John's Lonely slash support for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help me keep John's Lonely podcast going. Thank you all so much for listening. I'm going to be back with another episode of John's Lonely podcast. Until then, 